You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I'm here with two of my good buds, still the most liberals, liberal people on the Practically Pastoring Podcast. I'm Timothy Miller. Oh, not I'm me. here with Andrew. Wait, I'm, hey, I'm so messed up. Oh, not hey, Delmar. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go first. Why not? Everything's out of order on my screen. Professional. I, I was going to say, yeah. Everybody moved their position when we uh, when we refreshed the screen. <laughs> yep. So down in City Harbor, we got Andrew Larson. It's really good to be number two on the call sheet today, boys. Uh, and, suck it, Jeff. And up in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeff Simpson. The last shall be first. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, <laughs> since we are dealing with technology and streaming and all this stuff, here's a, a, a recent uh, research uh, article came out on, from Lifeway Research about live streaming. And I'm going to read some stats to you. It's just all these stats as of September of 22, stats about American churchgoers and live streaming. Here's some stats. 40% of churchgoers watch live streams instead of attending in-person church more than five times uh, this past year. This is a big deal, Jeff. <laughs> makes me sad. Moan for it. Jeff, are you okay? Uh, that was a... More than five times. <laughs> Come on. Uh, it's 10%. Um, uh, young adult church. So, yeah, young adult churchgoers. So the age between 18 and 34. Dang, I just missed a cut. I know. I just missed a two. Look at this. I'm an old adult churchgoer. Uh, more likely to watch a live stream compared to older adults. Only 13% of young adults, so of that age range, only 13% of them say they have not watched a live stream instead of attending uh, in-person church last year. 69% of churchgoers believe live streaming is acceptable when you are caring for the sick or if you are sick in that, in that moment. 48% say it's acceptable when you're traveling. 26% say it's acceptable if you just want to watch it live. And 24% say it's acceptable if you wake up late one morning. <laughs> Churches say a live stream is a way for a person. So some churches say, you know, we have a live stream because it's a way for people to it's find the front door. out who. It's a front door. It's a way to find out about a church. But statistics show that only 20% of people watch live streams for that purpose. Yeah. So 80% of the churches, 80% of people are not watching your live stream to figure out whether they want to go there or not. That means the other 80% either have already committed to going there and they see their commitment through watching your live stream or they're just watching your live stream and have no desire to ever attend your church. So as pastors, both of you guys, I mean, my church included, we have consistent live streams on Sunday morning. Um, I think all three of us got really good at it during COVID because we had to. Um, We've had many conversations about this. What do these stats tell you? How do you feel about them? Where do you see the current state of your live stream? What do you have? In all honesty, these stats kind of confirm my emotional state about it, which is like just I I really don't want to keep doing this, but I'm doing it because I don't think I can get away with not doing it. And I know it's kind of not that effective, but, I mean, we're just doing it, which I hate to admit, but this is a place of honesty and safety. I think stats can be manipulated. You know, that that 20% stat that we were looking at, well, what percentage of people that are watching live streams are looking for a new church? Because just about every visitor that we yeah. have 
said I introduced myself. Oh, I know who you are. I've watched the last three Sundays. I very rarely do I have a visitor who is coming in completely cold. And whether they're going back and you know watching on YouTube or Facebook in on Saturday night to figure out, oh, is this the kind of church I want to worship in? They're they're all checking out the live stream, and it, they might not be checking it out live, but they are still going back and seeing the video feeds. And you know, yeah, I, I'd be interested I, to know what that stat actually is. It twenty percent of people that actually visited looked first, or is it twenty percent of people who view a live stream are doing it for the purpose of visiting? Because that's a very different idea. I think, it, I think idea. it's the latter. I think it's the latter. Yeah, so then I would say that the people who have visited my church, like, I think it's every one of them that I've asked have said, yeah, we saw YouTube or we saw some form of a video live stream, even if it's like Andrew said, like, um, you know, later on, it's not live, but they saw what our church was like online. They scrolled through the archives and thought, yeah. okay, this might be a place. There's, you know, nothing weird or there's... Or maybe they're coming from the big church and they didn't want the fog machine in the blacked out stage or whatever it may be. I've had all those conversations based on, oh, yeah, 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 I've checked out the live stream first. Or tracks in worship. I mean, yeah. You know, hypothetically, whatever. Whatever it may be. So, does the, I mean, do these stats, I mean, Jeff let out a very large groan when we, with the first stat. Does this, like, discourage you with the state of how, like, no. people who claim to be churchgoers? are talking about live streaming or are you like par for the course can't wait till the apple vr headset comes in because then i'm going to be live in there like how do you feel that would be dope <laughs> i mean what, the loaf of bread Delmar, 3000 doesn't delmar do like <laughs> loaf of bread 3000 that's funny doesn't delmar like do like virtual services i think so and he, he talked about that before and how like Three people got saved. The guy got baptized. I don't know how that worked out, but like he, I think he I said sent that. him a virtual tithe. He said, "No, <laughs> I need the real online, thing." That's just online giving. <laughs> you know, that, that's what I always say. I always say, you know, people claim that uh, online uh, church doesn't count as real church, but they still want your online giving to count. Yeah, dude. So I, I don't know where where you guys are as churches, but we've been. I've got a attendance sheet in front where, you know, the past several months because I was trying to pull something up. And consistently, we are between about, you know, for attendance, we count um, live simultaneous viewers. That's the stat that we use to for how many people were, were worshiping online. Because if you check on Tuesday, you might have, you know, whatever it may be. But so we are right about you know twelve to sixteen percent every week of our congregation is people watching online, and we know that sometimes that's a family in front of a smart TV with a YouTube app, and yep. sometimes it's somebody in their car streaming as they're driving. So I think saying oh twelve to twenty or whatever it is percent of our congregation doesn't matter and doesn't count. I just don't think that's where we're at. Yeah, I would say I've changed my mind on this. I for a while was like it's not the real thing. It's, you know, but I here's what here's a category I've kind of gotten myself to get to is um I would say this is this is the equivalent of a person for me who comes like once a month or once every 6 weeks. Mm -hmm. Like yes, they are really a person and they're really engaging with the church, but are they engaging with it ideally so that their discipleship is going to be affected? No, they're not. So I think live stream is somewhere on the continuum 
Um, and it's possible, yes, absolutely possible for somebody to be fully engaged on your live stream and maybe like in my church context, then that would be they're signed up for the email list and they're engaged in the small group, like chat stuff we have for prayer. And yeah, they could totally be doing that. But for me, in my experience in my church, the norm of a person who is engaging online is in a very uh, like consumer only. They're just kind of looking in and seeing what's going on. They're really not going to be effectively um, engaging in discipleship in the same way that a person who is attending in person regularly tends to. I think the regular in-person attendance has an inherent effect on how much you're engaged in the life of the church and how much that affects your discipleship. So do I think live streaming is worthless? No, we do it. We invest in it. We have, you know, we invest volunteer hours in running it. We have equipment for it. So we believe that it's a good part of our, um, a good part of our offering to the public, but I don't think it's the center of like my attention or discipleship. And maybe some people would critique that and that's fine. Um, but I just would put this, like when I'm categorizing my membership database, I have categories of like, you know, visitor, regular attender, participant, member. Somewhere on there is like live stream participant. And I, I'm not sure where they fall on the list, but in my mind, pastorally, I tend to think of them about like I would think of a person who's attending once every four to six weeks. Yeah, they're here and they're kind of part of what we're doing, but they're really not fully engaged like a person who's coming every week in person. See, we've got, I'd say, 50% of the adult population in our church is retirement age and plus because we're we're in Florida. And with old people, you have people that get sick and people that are, yep. are bedridden or homeridden or whatever it may be. And so I go through um, our live stream machine is kind of in the back of the worship center. We've got a, a high school girl that runs it. Your live stream machine? Services. Our live the most boomer machine. thing you've ever said. <laughs> it's, it's a Mac Mini that should be shot. It, it yeah. runs eCam barely. We have and, similar. Uh, but, so, but so I'll go through and I'll click. And if so yesterday we had 13 people um, on the that were active on live stream during the, the service. And I know nine of them and could text them and they'd pick up right now. So yeah. I think you know it, it depends on the church. It depends on who your congregation is, but also to say, Hey, there are four people who I don't know who they are checking yeah. out our church. That's a win too. So it's, there are, you know, and some of the people that I know, you know one person was at a soccer tournament with a kid who plays directly or, you know, travel uh, club soccer, not what the live stream is necessarily there for, but that's someone who would be disconnected from the church for several months out of the year based on the commitments that they've made. That's a whole other podcast episode, but that's a person that gets to stay connected even when they're not there. And then there's, you know, oh, well, this person is sick and this person's on vacation. And I don't know. I think the same behavior can be pastorally very different depending on the people. Yeah. So, like, I would encourage this. If you're a young – this is a conviction I've had in the last six years being here, um, youngish in my years, um, especially when I first came and being the senior pastor for adults who are getting up into their seventies now, like they miss stuff sometimes out of the blue because health issues just come up out of nowhere for them. And it was really, it's sometimes very hard for me to remember that and to remember it. Like they're not just being lazy. 
like mm-hmm. they're 74 years old and sometimes they have stomach problems or they have they woke up and a, something hurts and they really can't make it happen. And, like, for me to look down on them is, like, I need to repent of that. I so, will get a text uh, from my mother maybe every other month or so that says, hey, I'm awake, but I just know I shouldn't drive this morning. I'm watching church online. Yeah. And I think, hey, you not driving today is a win for all of Pinellas County. Let's uh, let's celebrate that. And but absolutely. if you don't, if you haven't like intentionally built that relationship and spent the time dealing with your own need for approval, mm-hmm. you can read a text from a member who says, "Hey, Pastor, I just can't make it this morning," and you can start grumbling to yourself. Oh my gosh! See, here we go again. They never want to show up. They, and that's not healthy for you. It's not good for your pastoral care for them. So I would just encourage you if you're a younger pastor and you have older members, you're maybe a solo pastor like me. Like, be very careful that um, you're not starting to judge in-person attendance, uh, making a direct line to maturity with people. Because it's not, especially with older members, it's not the case. Now, let's say you have a 74-year-old member who texts you and says, hey, pastor, I just can't make it today. I'm going to hear that very differently than the 22-year-old who has no kids, who is healthy, and just says, yeah, I'm not coming today because I just just didn't feel like it. I just woke up late. That's a very different pastoral issue. One um, thing that I would be very curious to see with these numbers is because when you're talking about 22 year olds and all the, I know uh, Brady Shear just had the post of you know, 70 percent of churches are now under 100 people, yet 70 percent of Christians are going to churches 400 or bigger. Yeah. So it's and that's even more skewed when it comes to the 22 year olds or the you know the 18 to 34 year olds because there's better offering for kids and and all of the different reasons. I wonder once you start uh, getting the multi-site churches in, mm. if the propensity to say, "Hey, I'm not," go-, you know, live stream is absolutely as good of an option because, after all, my church is one glorified lobby anyway. Frank, I love you. Um, yeah, but I wonder, you know, with the stats about the younger people, I wonder if there's a correlation to I'm at a big multi-site church watching a screen anyway, so. Yeah, what's if I'm the difference? In, yeah. yeah, what's what's the difference? That's yeah. one thing that I would love for the uh, Lifeway research to dig into a little bit more. Uh, one thing I wondered that research can't dig into in that conversation with the attitudes of if my sermon is just on a screen, then what's the difference if I watch it at home? Is um, is one the 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 theology that church is just the, the sermon part. And that's so there's an, there's an aspect of that that needs to be discipled. Yeah. Um, and then and 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 like I, I think hearing you guys talk about this is actually kind of I, I kind of had an opposite trajectory of Jeff where like when I first saw online church and streaming, I was like, we need to do this. Why aren't we doing this? Like we got to do better. And now as I've like, you know, year th- three years after the pandemic and all this other stuff. I'm more like convicted about what is this doing in terms of like spiritual development for our people and, and creating a theology that church can be done without community. And that like that, and like that freaks me, that that just freaks me out. And I'm not sure if I, if I'm convinced that like, I don't think I've ever doubted an idea of we should have sermon archives. And so if someone misses Sunday and they want to hear the sermon, they can go back in our archives and see it. 
I'm not even opposed to a concept of like streaming our services online. I think I'm more opposed to the idea of a on what we call an online campus or an online church, yeah. and legitimizing it as true church. When I think an aspect of the church is the gathered body of believers, and and I I don't know if we can replicate that with a Zoom lobby. You know what I'm saying? And so, so I I think one thing that these stats don't necessarily help us to see is. A, the long-term effects of what this looks like in a society that's increasingly becoming more lonely and and are incapable of socializing with one another. And then B, like, like yeah, you, you bring up a good point. I mean, you make the joke. I mean, I just preach live at my church, which is pr- primarily a video venue. And obviously everyone loved it, not because of my sermon being great, but because they love live preaching. And I wonder, like, what the, what are we, what does this do in terms of the psyche? Not the psyche, because I don't I don't want to use that word, but like, the hearts of our people who are now seeing church as primarily the speaking gift of the preacher and not the gathered experience of us taking communion together, yeah. singing songs together. Like, no matter what, no matter how good your online mix is, you hearing worship through your computer or through your phone is never going to be the same as you being in the space with other people singing, hearing people sing. With, you know that makes sense? Like, I just get nervous about the long-term effects of what – and, like, this is why, like, I didn't get excited when I saw the Apple presentation of that VR headset. Yeah. Like, as we are progressing more and more into a world where VR is becoming our primary workspaces or whatever, like, we're becoming so disattached from our community and we're isolating ourselves – and that's already been proven that that's not good for our that's mental bad health. bad for us. Yeah. And so once we start I, adding that to the church, like, I'm just getting concerned of what that means. I, I totally think it's valid what you guys said about, like, the senior citizens in our church who, I mean, you guys are making great arguments that, in, in the sense that, like, I agree with you. And I'm, I'm kind of trying to put my mind in a set of, like, there are definitely people who rely on our streams that are not using it as an excuse to avoid in-person worship. That's fair. I'm just trying to think of, like... The long-term effects for uh, a mass of people who aren't what you guys are talking about in terms of their health or their age. Well, I think it's a question of using technology in a way that's different from how the world uses the technology. It's good. Um, You know, I mean, that's that's where I'm I'm trying to, over these last couple years with COVID and, you know, live streaming becoming like almost a necessity. It's like the way that the world does live streaming is broadcast. It's get this information out there, hype things up. And is there a way to use or leverage that same technology in a way that's different from what the world does? Or is there an inherent um, uh, destructiveness to the technology itself that would lead us to say, no, we're going to stand in, uh, you know, prophetic witness against this and say, this is bad for our souls. It's bad for our discipleship. So we're not going to do it. I don't know where I'm landing on that. I just, I know right now with live streaming, I just feel like I'm in a rut. It's just, it's happening every week and I'm fine with it. I don't love it. There's some little hitch in my soul about it. I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, I want it to be as good as it can be, but I also don't want to um, invest so much in that experience that I'm disinvesting in the in-person discipleship stuff that I need to be paying attention to as a pastor. Because when you're, solo or only a few people on staff i mean live streaming can take up like all of your time if you want it to for sure for sure. so before we hit the record button 
we were having a conversation about, you know, officing in the church office versus virtual officing. Um, Jeff and I knew each other camera to camera for several years before we ever met face to face. Frank and I had only met in person two or three times before we started doing this. And now when we see each other being spread out throughout the the country, there is no catch up necessary. You know, we we spend an hour or so together every week. We text each other constantly. There is a true relationship that occasionally is in person, but the vast majority of the time is a virtual relationship. I think the difference between this and what a live stream is, is that both lines are open. You know, it's not just one way communication. And I think there are a whole lot of people showing up to churches in person that for them, it's still just a one way communication. They are not in relationship with people that they're sitting next to. There is no community with their communion. And for them, plugging into a live stream is not much different than showing up at that church, especially if you've been to churches where like they have the ushers that tell you where to sit because they want the room to look extra full for the live stream. So you don't get to sit next to the same people. You don't know mm. the people you're, you're next to. The It's the intentionality of the relationships and the community that is the difference. I think there are ways, and I'm not saying that we're doing it right, right away um, with our live stream because we don't have the opportunity, to, you know, we're... we're we have a one-way line of communication, but we have a small group in our church that when COVID happened, they switched uh, to Zoom exclusively for their small group. And now um, once a quarter, they get together and they do a big dinner, but they have not missed a week of small group since the world shut down in March of 2020. Half the people don't attend our church anymore because they've moved. And yet their small group continues to meet in that virtual format. So I think there are ways mm. that, that we can do virtual church to make it a true and authentic church. I don't think that the live stream is necessarily what that is, but just because something is not face to face or in person, you know, that all of the companies that are having record quarters and years with all of their employees being at home. Okay. Well, sometimes you can do things better. Sometimes I can show up at church, but I can't spend an hour in my car to get to church and back if I'm joining in on the live stream. So I think there's a pushback. And Frank, like you said, there's there's nothing like being in the room with other people singing in your ear. And I would love to get the research um, for that. Say, okay, so people that watch the live stream, how many of you sing along with the live stream? My guess is mm. 8% or less. So there are ways that we could do virtual church better than just a live stream. But just because something is virtual and not in person does not mean that the relationships can't be real. Right. What you said, what you said, when you said that, like that same experience of like what Jeff was saying, like the broadcast mentality is 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 experience in the in the actual embodied in in person church services. To me, it's just an indictment towards our churches that are making people not feel community, but just be butts in seats, right? And uh, and like I, I, I like that's made me think about right now. It's like how am I helping people? get from being in rows facing forward to in circles in a small group as soon as possible because that's where in our context that's where the biggest community happens um because i i just started thinking about the people who we've heard and you know for as long as we've been in ministry we've always heard about people who go to our churches who say i feel like i'm another face in the crowd i don't know anybody in the room i'm worshiping and it's like i don't want them to feel that way 
where they're going to feel that way. It, it, they're, they're, it's way easier to feel that way when you're just watching a stream, but they should not be feeling that way when they're in our, when they're in our, in our spaces. Right. So, so let's go on to question two. Um, man, our former, Ooh, hang our on. former. I, I, was, I'm curious about you guys. When I was, do you track attendance of online worship at your church? And if so, how what what metric do you use? We use um, church uh, church online like platform, so mm-hmm. it's built into it. Uh, so we just like take that into account with our regular attendance as well. Ours and is very low. Our, ours really is almost now. I don't track because we stream on YouTube and push that to church online. So I honestly haven't looked at stats on YouTube. I know that there's people like our videos are consistently getting in the twenties. Uh, maybe 30s for views, so it's pretty low. It's very low. Um, but the people that I know that are on our live stream are people that are like the category of what we say, like um, shut-ins and people who say, like, oh, I'm sick today, I'm not going to. So they just go to our church website and get the link to church online, and they get in there. Um, so we don't push it as, like, our front door. Hmm. I mean, it's been literally two years since I've had to worry about our, our stream because we have we have staff now that does that. But... Um, I I know that we use some multiplier of like two point five, or maybe, maybe yeah. less. I don't know. Does that sound a lot? Like I don't know. I think we assume that like for every every view, concurrent view, we're counting like two people or two point five mm-hmm. people. I forgot what the multiplier was, but um, but like, I felt like that was ever changing in the days of COVID of how to properly assess that, and I think even to this day, there's no accurate way of. One thing I always tried to fight for, not fight for, but like I proposed, but it never happened, is encouraging consistent people who are watching stream online to fill out a form for us yeah. so that we mm-hmm. know how many people are actually in their house. And then we can make our own average, but we never, we never did that kind of data. But that would be yeah. an interesting thing where it's like, let's just say you have 30 concurrent streams every single Sunday or whatever. Um, if there was a way to have every person there fill out a form that says, hey, in my household, we have three people watching. My household is just me or whatever. Then, like, I can make an, my own percentage. It feels more accurate to my own data. But I never got to that. I'm, I'm mm. looking at March and April for us, and it's 11, 13, 11, 12, 11, 11, 12. So, you know, I think it's it's fairly consistent. But, again, like, during during the height of COVID, the 2.5 per view – makes a whole lot more sense than now when you know someone's you know on the at the edge of a soccer field watching on their phone right yeah 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 yeah. all right well let's go into the second question um i'm sad that Dell's not here because he was our resident southern baptist person and so whenever there was drama in the sbc we can rely on Dell to not know anything about it because he didn't care. (laughs) 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 we knew way more about it got me so good uh, (laughs) <laughs> uh, so, anyways, um, this is actually, I think, was this a question that we had talked about in the, in the group chat? I, yeah. I don't know if this, okay, because after we had a conversation about this in the group chat, I talked to some people about it, and it was fascinating to hear people talk about it. But, as you know, the SBC has been trying to clarify their position on what elders, pastors, and bishops mean in their context, and they have decided that those three offices – Pastors, elders, and bishops are all the same office in their in Which their. Which is why I'm making my people call me bishop from now on. <laughs> um, and this was all an attempt to kind of confer that women 
cannot hold the el- office as elder or pastor in their churches. And and obviously Saddleback got kicked out. There was the other church in Kentucky that kick- got kicked out. And and now there's a, been a report of like over a thousand churches with over a thousand women. There are pastors in different churches. Come to the so, alliance, baby. That's I a big say, it, <laughs> it was amazing how they could never put the list together of the credible, you know, sexual abuse pastors, Jeez. yet they had the list of all 1,100 churches with uh, MapQuest directions to each one oh about three minutes after. Okay. The, uh, I don't know if that's true, but the idea of it having MapQuest directions oh no, is, it's, is uh, so, it's not Google, it's MapQuest. I love it. That's really funny. Well, it's SBC. Hey, that's uh, probably what works on their websites. Um, so, so it got me thinking. So I, most complementarian churches do not see women as elders. But some complementarian churches would say, since the word pastor is kind of nebulous in well, I know I'm not I'm not saying this I help my position, but since the title pastor Careful. is kind of ambiguous in the Bible of whether or not that's like even a title the Bible would use, um, let they would be okay with giving the title to women as pastors, but since there, there would be pastors that aren't elders. Since the SBC is clarifying that all pastors are elders. This leads to a very interesting predicament that I don't know if the SBC is prepared to handle, where now for them to be consistent, everyone, including men who have the title pastor but are not elders, will now have a title demotion. So how many churches do you know that have youth pastors, kids pastors, small group pastors, whatever? I, I know it's just a facility pastor. Like There's like pastors for everything, but they're not elders it's, in the elder board. It goes back to uh, in the the last episode that we definitely recorded a week ago, not 20 minutes ago, when I was talking <laughs> about my uncle, who uh, yeah. was the associate pastor because he was the principal at the Christian school. Every person that an SBC church wants to give a housing allowance to so they that they pastor. don't have to pay them a living wage, yep. Yep. suddenly is either going to get a demotion or show up at the next elders meeting like, what up, y'all? I'm yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you don't have to I'm have elder, that title. So I'm ready to vote. Uh, now, I don't know yeah. how it works in the in the in the SBC, but you don't have to have a title of pastor to be clergy and get a well, house. No, something, but a lot of them do. Yeah, something but you can be titled minister and still perform sacerdotal duties. The it does create a, is, it, it does create a real interesting thing because that's the that's the line that the government cares about for clergy. You have yep. to perform sacerdotal duties. So if you're a minister performing sacerdotal duties there are very hard lines you just com- want to say sacerdotal duties yeah, as yeah, many yeah. times as you possibly sacerdotal. can sacerdotal i just like the idea of hey, sacraments it's quick me. quick uh, break band name for us sacerdotal Ooh. duties but spelled uh, d-o-o-d-i-e-s there we go i can learn the bass give me like three weeks uh frank on drums jeff your guitar, guitar lead singer we good we're good sacerdotal duties let's do it uh so it's interesting because there are hardline complementarian churches that will not let women serve communion, which is one of those duties. But let's say there's a children's minister who's getting a housing allowance, so you're good with the government thinking of that person as a clergy member, but you won't give them the title of pastor in your church because of your theological convictions, but you'll take the tax advantage for them so you don't have to pay them as much. Just interesting to me. That's all. Yeah, I mean the government's way more egalitarian than most churches for sure. Yeah, they don't. Um, but but this made me. I was. I remember when I was at my first church job in Tampa, um, when they ordained me as a pastor, or they licensed me. That's just they licensed me. 
my next church they ordained me. Um, when they licensed me, they said you're an elder, but you you don't have any voting rights. And when I was 22, I thought that was normal. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know what the difference was. The more I get older and I'm in more churches, the more I realize that this idea of being an elder without voting rights is just a made-up term so that people can get uh, the tax benefits from the government. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I, I guess, I guess, Jeff, can you explain more about the CMA and how they've been handling this issue in terms of people with the title pastor and clergy status and things like that? Because your your denomination recently just like ratified Bro, way to out me. in their. Well, you're not a secret CMA person. No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, <Go ahead. laughs> so basically, what the discussion in the alliance has been: can we separate the titles pastor, elder, bishop, biblically? Uh, and the way we have to change. So this is an issue of polity. This is not an issue of um, statement of faith, uh, which I do think is a critique I would have of the Southern Baptist position. I think that they are making it too much of a statement of faith issue and not enough of a polity issue, meaning that they are making it too, too much of a primary issue, not enough of a secondary issue. So in the alliance, in order to change a statement of faith, something in the statement of faith, you have to have two-thirds of vote, uh, I believe, two what we call councils in a row, which is we meet every two years. Uh, we gather together. So this year we did make some changes to our statement of faith. Most of it was just like, updating archaic language about stuff and tweaking things. But one of the things we did is we added a, um, a preamble to a section that talks about the premillennial return of Christ. And we essentially said we no longer require you to hold a premillennial position. Although this is officially the position of the alliance, you don't have to hold a premillennial position to be licensed for ministry within the alliance. As long as I think the language, it was kind of, some of it was kind of silly. As long as you'll give it a, like a good faith, um, you'll look at it in good faith and consider it, but you don't. You're not required to be pre-mill anymore in the alliance, uh, which I think is good. But I think what we should have done is just remove that from the statement of faith altogether. But adding it as a preamble to that section was kind of a, a compromise with those who wanted to keep it in. So the issue of women in ministry, uh, or this particular topic around women in the church, is a polity issue for us which means we only need 50% vote to change it, two councils in a row. So it got brought to the floor two years ago. Um, it got passed. And for, so it got brought up four years ago at council four years ago. And for the last four years, our president of the American Alliance, uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance, and the vice president have been traveling around to our districts, holding basically like open forums, having discussions. There's been white papers written. And you boil it down, and basically what we have said is that we now are understanding that um, women have played an important role in the history of our movement. Uh, my church was planted by two women. Um, overseas, this is not an issue. This is a very American issue. So for everybody saying this is a biblical, this is very much not a global Christianity issue. Um, but in the American Christian Missionary Alliance, what we're saying is that the office of elder is reserved for qualified called men, but the title of pastor is a title that is speaking to gifting and is not necessarily speaking to the office of elder. So a few things happened uh, to make that work. Number one, we adopted a uh, as polity that not 
everybody who's licensed and ordained in the alliance has to be an elder at a local church because in the alliance elders hold the highest level of ecclesiastical power in the lo- or authority in the local church um so the elder board is the highest authority in the local church and then there's a governing board usually along with an elder board so the governing board is made up of a majority of elders and then other people that can fill the other roles on a governing board which can up until this point could have been women uh and continue now to be women so Women cannot be elders. Senior pastors have to be an elder, which means women cannot be senior pastors in the alliance. Uh, so we still believe that elders are qualified, called men, and to be the senior pastor of a church means that you are one of the elders of the church. But what we have now changed is a couple things. No longer do you have to be an elder if you're licensed and ordained, which actually makes sense for bigger churches. There are churches in the alliance like Appleton, Wisconsin, huge church, Big pastoral staff, they would have to have like 40 elders, uh, which is kind of cumbersome. Um, So I don't really know the size of their staff, but I'm assuming it's pretty big. And so um, the other things that have changed is that no longer is it – it used to be you get licensed for men and women, and then for women they would go and do the same exact work as men, but they would be called consecrated, and they would get the title um, consecrated woman in ministry – CWM after their name. So it would be, you know, Susie Smith CWM. Uh, whereas men, after licensing, would go, do the same exact work and be called Reverend and be ordained. And they would get Reverend. So for me, Jeff Simpson, right? It goes before my name. So we have said, you know, that's inconsistent. We don't like that women are doing the same exact work as men and not getting the same title. Uh, and we think biblically that they're two separate things the office of elder, the gifting of pastor. So now that process is going to be everybody gets licensed, and from there everybody gets what we're calling uh, an ordination and consecration license. So it's the same thing. So essentially we're ordaining women, and we give them the title reverend, and we can call them pastors in our churches. Um, But they cannot be the senior pastor, and they cannot serve as an elder. So that's where the alliance has landed. I'm pretty happy with it. Um, My mind has shifted some in some of the papers I've read and the scholarship I've read. Uh, especially as it comes to the global church. Um, I think that one of the critiques I would have of the hard complementarian side is that they make, they conflate interpretation with inerrancy. Uh, and that's dangerous. And I think that I, th- and I said this to my church when I announced this, if you are a person who thinks you're egalitarian, you think women should be doing everything men should be doing. And you think that complementarians are oppressive and that they are, you know, misogynistic you need to repent from that because that's not true complementarians are interpreting the scripture in good faith i think they're making a mistake but i think they're making it in good faith and they're trying to love jesus and be faithful to their church are there misogynists and complementarian churches and in that world of course there are they're misogynists in the egalitarian world point you know in case in point bill hybels um so and if you're a complementarian and you think the only way you could view women as being qualified to be a pastor is if you've given up on inerrancy and you're riding a slippery slope down into liberalism, you need to repent too because those are your brothers and sisters, and most of them are doing this in good faith. Is it true that some churches started here and ended up going down a slippery slope? Yes, a slippery slope exists. But it doesn't mean that everyone who ends up here is going to go down that slope And I will just say, I'm frankly, like, I'm tired of being categorized as, like, 
losing my orthodoxy over this secondary issue. And if you want to argue it's primary, I invite you to show me one of the ecumenical creeds where women are mentioned <laughs> or men are mentioned. They're not because it's not a primary issue. We can disagree on this, uh, and especially in a denomination like the Alliance, we have hard Calvinists, hard Arminians, and we've made space for that. And certainly if we can differ on mode of salvation, we can differ on who should serve. So in the Alliance now, it's as each church deems. So that creates some trickiness. Yeah. What, let's say a woman applies to be a pastor at a church that doesn't want to give women the title pastor. That's going to be tricky. Um, but that's where we've landed as the Alliance. And I, and I think it's fair and I think it's good. Um, so like my wife right now could qualify. We could call her Pastor Amy. Um, she's figuring out <laughs> what she thinks about that. Um, but we could call her that and I'd be happy to do it because um, she's licensed. She's technically clergy. She's not consecrated. Um, but she has the license that would be necessary to call you pastor. And here's what's interesting. In my church right now, uh, the guy that's running our youth ministry, doing a great job, uh, he's preached the last couple weeks, uh, which has been fantastic and on Sunday morning. He does not hold uh, licensing from the Alliance, but he comes from a church where he was ordained in an independent church, has been very used to people calling him pastor, but he cannot be called pastor in our church because he's not licensed by us. Uh, by the alliance, so it's interesting. You know, that's the situation that we find ourselves in. I like how I like how like heated Jeff got for like thirty seconds yeah. in there. Like, you want to try me? Show me some receipts, and we'll fight about I'm it. I'm just saying. I, I like, like, I'm I've, I'm I've gotten tired of the conversation over the last four years. Of, hey, let me ask you a question on the secondary issue, and the response being, the only reason you're asking that is because you don't believe in inerrancy. So, like, as, liberal, nah, dude, that's as, not true. <laughs> Uh, let me let me let me say I agree with you, Jeff, that this is a secondary issue, and it was probably one of the most convincing arguments of Rick Warren in his speech that the SBC was able to find a compromise with the Calvinism ten years ago. Yeah, but they won't be able to find a compromise with women pastors, and I thought that was actually a pretty convincing argument. Um, I feel like I'm one of the most uh, complimentarian dudes on this podcast, but I but like I. We had this conversation. We've had this conversation ad nauseum as a group of, of friends here. But here's one thing that's been most convincing, convicting to me about this topic, based on what I'm talking about here with the whole, you know, the the title demotion, is in complementary churches. So let's be consistent with what we're trying to do here. We we want to we want to hold to what we are saying that we believe, or as in Timothy and Titus and and Ephesians, where men are holding these offices. Fine, that's fair. My concern is what I was just saying about my own like uh, upbringing in the church was I was a pastor at 22 right yep. out of Bible college, and I wasn't necessarily even qualified. I, I won't say I'm not qualified, but I was so green that there you were, were a women. Child. I was young, yeah, and there are women who have so many more qualifications, who had like a master's degrees, who had experience, who are not being able to call be called a a, a, a pastor simply because of their gender, not because of their credentials. And so one thing that I've been processing, especially that an opportunity like my church where we are, we have a larger system and we want to be able to develop the next generation of pastors, how can we develop men without giving them the title of pastor and still honor women who have gone through credential process or education to demonstrate that they deserve honor besides just giving them a license and, and and so one thing I've been thinking about is like, you know those holidays 
like, you know, after Christmas, Sunday after Christmas Eve or Memorial Day where we often call them Youth Pastor Sundays. Yeah. And I often think about like, you know, we often give those Sundays to very green pastors to like be a Sunday where they can like learn how to preach and stuff like that. While we have women who are fantastic communicators and women who are um, very gifted and talented and credentialed, but we won't let them be on that stage because they're a woman. One thing that I was thinking about in this process is to be consistently complementarian in our framework of theology. We're not going to put those women on the stage, but we also probably shouldn't put those green, those green young men on the stage either. You know what I'm saying? And so trying to think of new avenues to develop young men into their roles as pastors that doesn't put them into a position that's way above their pay rate that also consequentially demean the women in your church right. who are literally more educated, more qualified, more everything. And sometimes have men given with. their lives to that church. Right. And way more competent. Yeah. For, more, forget the I, educated and qualified, <laughs> just more competent in general. I mean, one of the biggest indictments to the SBC, I think, in this whole conversation is in the IMB or even yeah, the IMB, like the International Mission Board, like when it comes to missionaries in the SBC is I don't want, I don't know the stats are, but it's a lot of women. There's a lot of women yep. in their missions departments than there are than there are men in those missions departments. And I think that like we you know I, I think I've been more convicted of not just not just trying to understand what consistent complementarianism looks like while still empowering women, but like how do we unintentionally dishonor the women in our churches by putting unqualified men in positions of leadership. That, and I you know think, I think yeah. be open to the possibility that you have done and said things that are misogynistic as a man. Yes, you yeah. have. Sure. I can tell you For one sure. experience I had at a council four years ago. I was talking to a woman who serves in ministry um, at another church in Florida in the Alliance, and we were talking about something, and I just caught myself doing the, you know, we call it mansplaining. She had she has more education than I do. She has a couple. I think she has a master's degree in church ministry, um, and I just have a bachelor's degree. And we were talking, and I said a theological word, and I stopped and defined it for her, as if she needed me to do that. And I just kind of in the moment caught myself because I, because we were in that m mind frame of talking about this issue uh, and about this particular thing of kind of men assuming that we have to be the one with you know the knowledge. Um, I stopped myself and apologized, and she, you know, she was really gracious. But the, you know, one of the things that drives me nuts in my conversations with uh, those on the far, far, and I'm going to say extreme complementarian side is they want to, on the one hand, say we're doing this because we want to stick to the Bible, and I love that. I, I, I want to honor that. But then there is all these weird, unbiblical, extra rules that get put around women that have nothing to do with the Bible, like this like fascination we have with saying that we're going to do things behind the pulpit. Like it's a piece of furniture. It's that's not in the Bible. What are you worried about a woman standing on a stage behind a pulpit for? You so know, that's where I, that's where I see the, I know that there's a symbol of it's the preaching and the authority and all that. But my critique would be, if you're going to be all about the Bible, then be all only about the Bible and don't bring in these extra things that are extra biblical. That are you trying to fence your biblical position and not get too dangerously close to it. That, And I would say the critique on the other side 
the other extreme is that, yeah, you do go down a slippery slope of liberalism if you're not careful. Um, in in my denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, there is a stated position that, you know, there are people fighting for and hoping that by whatever year we have a 50-50 throughout the denomination of all ordained people. To which I say, that that's a terrible idea. Yeah, that's silly. Like, you know, that's... If, if you showed up at a preschool and 50% of the teachers were dudes, you probably would not send your kid there. That would right. weird you out. There's There are personality traits that are, are different between the genders. However, the thing that I have affirmed the strongest watching the SBC world from the sideline the past uh, several weeks and months is I am so grateful that God has not called me to be a woman in ministry because could you imagine – the amount of effort and energy that they are having to spend just to defend being who they believe that God has called them to be and doing uh, what, in most cases, their churches have called them to do. That must be exhausting. I think about my my friends in ministry, and um, you know, Frank and I have been connected to Katie Edwards at Saddleback, one of the first women ordained there, and I've... <laughs> I've emailed back and forth with her a little bit since her ordination, but I just want to say, I'm so sorry that you are spending as many hours as you are dealing with nonsense. I've got a friend uh, named Stephanie O'Brien who is just killing it in Minneapolis. And the amount of time she spends defending, oh no, like I'm a pastor of a rapidly growing, like big church. I'm not the, you know, the cheapest and last option that some dying church had, like I am someone qualified to be here. She's a seminary professor and is killing it and still spends about 20 or 30% of her energy fighting off people that don't want her to be there. And that just sounds exhausting. And also like making sure that she doesn't say anything in an offensive way to those who don't hold her position. Like I, I yeah, know so that women in ministry, making sure that she is not going to give ammo yeah. for uh, the, the people who are going to apply something that she said to every female pastor. ever. Right. You know, uh, Jeff, you, you know, I, I think the, the weirdness was explained to me one time that the the person that helped me kind of go on this journey of trying to understand my own complementarianism, she who is a complementarian herself, she said that a lot of complementarian churches say this is the line where um, we cannot cross according to scripture. Right. And instead of saying, now us as a church, let's take women to that line, we say, let's push them back way over here yeah. because we don't want to make the mistake. The problem is we don't do that with any other area of theology, exactly. right? You know what I'm saying? We, we're not, we, don't, we only do that with women. So there's probably like um, unstated uh, chauvinism and sexism in, right. in that understanding of that. Um, you know, Andrew, like you talked about Katie Edwards. I, I probably didn't contact her as much as you did. I remember I, th- I think I reached out to her. Uh, I messaged her when she got ordained just celebrating her and telling her that, like, I'm, I'm thrilled for her because she is a literal rock star in, in, yeah. in, in her ministry. Um, and I think the one thing that DYM, Donald Youth Ministry, has like probably impacted me the most in my time in student ministry and in my involvement with you know doing conferences on them is exposing me to a world of women pastors that are absolutely gifted and talented and like they were made for what they were doing. 
and I think one thing I was I was I I, I, I kept thinking about in that time is. You know, I'm still complimentarian today. I had to defend my complimentarian position in seminary, and I, I am, I still think that, like, for the rest of my life, unless I'm wrong, which I can be proven wrong, um, I'm probably going to continue to hold to a complimentarian view and be in complimentarian churches. I'm, I'm but sorry, I'm going to interrupt you for a second, but just being willing to be wrong is, sure. I think, the big difference. Is do you know what? There are some things that I hope I'm wrong about, and that I am holding some of my theology with an open enough hand that I'm going to say, I am willing to be wrong about this, and I accept the fact that there are more educated, more gifted people that have studied this topic exclusively, and they might be right, and I might be wrong. I, If if I had a gun to my head, I would say, sure, I guess I'm a complementarian because it makes the most sense based on my reading of Scripture. However, I am so willing to be wrong about the issue because I think that there are compelling good faith arguments being made where I am wrong. And so I think, Frank, just you saying that you're willing to be wrong is what we did not see on the floor um, there in New Orleans last week. Yeah. Like... Or uh, weeks ago, depending on when we when we released this episode. You know, last month. Jeff said something that was pretty interesting earlier in this conversation. He said that, like, the the SBC and some complementarians conflate this issue with inerrancy and this is like their version of what happened a couple of decades ago when liberalism was invading the SBC and they had to cling to inerrancy right. or or, or uh, clarify their views of inerrancy otherwise it would completely upend the denomination and 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 though like I, I feel like we're in this weird time in history where like I think about the civil rights movement movement and I think about how like there's this stereotype with black churches being progressive or low on their understanding of theology. But the reason why is because the white denominations were not allowing them in their seminaries. And so the denominations that accepted them were the liberal denominations. And that's why you have Martin Luther King with weird theology or whatever, right? But, 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 but that's, also the, that's also silly because it's also to say that white seminaries are the only bastions of conservative theology is also... Um, a fallacy. In the same way, there is like a social stereotype that women ministers lead to liberalism, LGBT stuff. And yeah, we see that. But I also know a ton of women pastors who are, (laughs) it's like that lady on the floor who said, I'm more conservative than most of y'all. And she did that little petty shot where she said, and when you guys closed your churches during uh, uh, COVID, I didn't, and I didn't didn't judge y'all. I was like, that's petty, but I kind of love it. And it's like, I I don't know. I look at at all the women who I've met in my years with DYM, and and I've learned so much from, and the women in my life right now who are, who have graduate degrees or doctorates and who are very smart and, and like now I'm trying to incorporate women theologians into my sermon process so I can have a more robust under, like more robust influences into my preaching. I, there, I, I have to reconcile the fact that there is a place for women in my own ministry and in the ministry around me. And I also have to be able to accept that there are traditions that aren't like mine that have women pastors, and that's okay. If I can accept, like we talked about, other modes of communion, other modes of baptism— other modes of of piloting, like, like there are other things that we believe are secondary issues that we accept. 
this is not an this is not on the same scale as inerrancy. Well, and the in, inerrancy in, argument is so ridiculous because essentially, if you say this is an inerrancy issue, then you need to join the Catholic Church because what you are saying is that Saint Jerome's translation of First Timothy two is the one that matters. Yep. The whole the word that get you know it's that what First Timothy two twelve or whatever it is yeah. tell that me, you know that I do not I do not permit women to have authority. The only reason that we have that translated as authority is because of St. Jerome, the same guy who said pay penance instead of repent. So the guy who we have been saying, no, no, this dude was really bad at Greek and he, you know, put it into Latin. And because of that, the Catholic Church, you know, went this direction. And once we got back to the original languages, we got this right. That is the same translator that has given so much fuel to this. And so if you are saying this is an inerrancy issue, you best be paying your uh, respects to the Pope because uh, you are basically saying that St. Jerome is the authority on the translation of First Timothy, which I don't think any of us want. Nope. I, I think uh, to, to wrap this podcast up, because we got longer than we, we, we wished, um, to clean this up, uh, if you are Southern Baptist, we love you. I still respect your seminaries very much. And... Uh, if and, you got uh, kicked out and you got women pastors, come to the alliance. <laughs> but if you got kicked out and you want to find a home, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly surprised. I would like to say that if you're Southern Baptist and you went to an SBC seminary, I'm sorry you couldn't get into Dallas. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's so stupid. Um, uh, I will say I'm surprised that Rick Warren hasn't started his own denomination. Uh, that I, think, is like... I think Rick knew exactly what he was doing and exactly what the outcome is going to be. And two things can be mutually, you know, can be true at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I think sure. he was fighting for one way, but he's also fighting for his place in history. And sure. he knew. I mean, if you exactly got a library like that, doing. you got to make a name for yourself. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. He is a dope library. Um, all right. And a lot well, of Hawaiian shirts. Could have given that to the poor, yeah. though. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's so stupid. There's shirts in the books. As Rick all once told me, the poor oh. you will always have with me. You will always have with you. That's right. <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, if you're an SBCer, we love you. Delmar, we love you. Uh, if you're a complimentary, if you're a woman, we love you. Slide yeah. in Frank's DMs. Don't do that. All Don't. right. <laughs> hey, wrap this up. Uh, thanks for joining us. If you want to follow us on Facebook and the group, keep it going. Share this with a friend. Uh, share this uh, with people in the SBC. <laughs> share this with whoever you like. Um, and uh, and uh, we hope to see you uh, next week. With that being said. I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Andrew Larson. And this is Practically Pastoring. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.